let's get into God's Word. Luke chapter 15. It's a familiar passage, one that you will have read many times before, one that you've probably read to your children, one that you will have heard in Sunday school, one that you think you know inside out. But my prayer this morning is that we get a fresh glimpse as we look at it through maybe different eyes to that which we would have done previously. So um, Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through to 32. Let me just say, before we start reading God's Word, one thing that excites me when people preach God's Word in church is that there's kind of three things going on. There's someone normally speaking from the front, okay? You yourself are saying, God, please speak to me, and God is desperate to reveal himself to you. So let's be aware this morning. This isn't just going through the motions. We're encountering what God might want to say for us today. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The youngest son said to his father, Father, give me a share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, and he set off to a distant country. There he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and they began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he says, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'm going to set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went out to his father. But whilst he was still a long way off, his father saw him and filled with compassion for him, he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and now he is alive. He was lost and now is found. Let's celebrate. If you want to know the end of the story, you can read it yourselves when you get home. But we're just going to pause there for a moment. And we're going to explore this story through cultural eyes. We're going to imagine what it might have been like to be a listener on the very first occasion that Jesus himself told this story. How would the Eastern people who were listening to this story have heard it? The posh word is a cultural hermeneutic, but don't worry, it's not that painful, okay? So, so we're going to try and listen and understand from a cultural perspective, because this story is an unprecedented story. You might kind of listen to it and think, well, okay, there was a slightly precocious son 
who was a little bit rude to his father in asking for something that he didn't deserve. And our 21st century lens kind of says, yeah, that was a bit rude. But the original listeners to this story would have been going, hold on a second, this kind of stuff just doesn't happen. Some of you might be thinking it was a clever tax evasion, you know, getting around inheritance tax. You know, if if we get the money now, then I won't have to pay tax later. Well, of course, in those days, that wasn't the situation. In fact, a a theologian and, and cultural commentator says these words, to my knowledge, in all Mid and Eastern literature, from ancient times to present day, there is no case of any son, older or younger, asking for an inheritance from the father whilst the father is still in good health. It just didn't happen. It's unprecedented. And yet in a couple of quick verses, verse 11 and 12, we get this exchange. Dad, can I have your inheritance? Yes, son, there you go. It's like there wasn't much of an argument going on between father and son. Father was so willing to release something to the young son that he actually wasn't entitled to. Gives us a glimpse that the father doesn't want to control you. He's willing to let you go. He's willing to let you make your own choices, willing to let you make your own decisions. But imagine how that father would have felt as the sun leaves, the sadness, the mourning. He's willing to walk away from me and all that I have given him. I don't just want to sail past some of these verses this morning and miss the fact that there will be people in church this morning who have this feeling for their own kids Maybe you're in a situation this morning where you're desperate for your son or your daughter to be following Jesus. You would have loved them to be here in church with you this morning or down at the youth group or the the Sunday school and you're mourning in your heart for your son. I just want you to know this, that in the way that you care about your child, God cares even more. That the Father's love is so great that he hears your desires, he hears your prayers And whilst things might not at this moment be what you expect them to be, don't think that God doesn't know. He's heard your cries. So this story is unprecedented, but, but it's also outrageous, okay? The fact that the son basically is saying to his father... And excuse the kind of, um, the, the crudeness, I wish you were dead, is basically what the son is saying. I, I want what I would be entitled, well, not even what I would be entitled to when you die. And so the, the, the son is saying something quite shameful to the father. People who were listening to the story at this time would have been kind of, wondering what was going on. What was Jesus talking about? This arrogant, self-centered child. What kind of child did this father brought up that he was prepared to ask for something so outrageous? And yet the father releases it to him and he goes off. However, the the act of selfishness, the, the, the walking away with all of the resources that he's just inherited, maybe wasn't the real thing that Jesus was hinting at. 
Let me tell you a story. When, when I was about 11 years old, I was in primary school. It was the last year of primary school. And um, it was one of those days in school where the teachers have to go to school. But as kids, we don't have to. I don't know what they call them, but I used to enjoy them. It wasn't really a holiday, but it was a day off. And so um, on this particular day, my friends decided we were going to hang out all day together. My parents were in work. It was just going to be a fun day having you know, fun and doing what we do when we're 11 years old. So I said to my dad, Dad, is it okay to hang out with my friends all day on this particular day? Now, you need to know that my dad has a kind of a military background. And so he does everything kind of regimented and properly. So, so he got this map out and he laid it out on the dining room table. And it was a map of the area that we lived. He pulled out his Sharpie marker pen, if they existed all those years ago. And he started to draw on the map this kind of boundary. And I knew exactly what he was doing. And he turned to me and he says, Dave, you can have as much fun as you like for the eight hours that you're supposed to be in school but you don't step over the line. You don't go outside the boundary. Now, my dad had been quite generous. It was quite a big boundary, but still it was a boundary. So we had lots of fun all morning. We kind of did some things. We kind of rode around on our bikes. And after about one o'clock in the afternoon, my friend says to me, let's go to Bidston Hill. You don't know where Bidston Hill is. It kind of doesn't really matter where Bidston Hill is. The only thing you need to know is it was outside the boundary yeah but I went anyway because I was 11 and that's what you do so, so we went we had fun it was brilliant we didn't really get up to much trouble but I got home and the first question my dad asked me wasn't have you had a good day how are you son I've missed you for the last six or seven hours no it was did you go outside the boundary of course I said no and as soon as I said no, I could just tell by his face that I was about to be found out. And he turns to me and he says, Dave, my friend in work saw you on Bidston Hill. <laughs> you know, in that moment, it wasn't just the fact that I'd crossed the boundary, that I'd done something wrong, that I'd stepped into sin to use kind of Christian language. But in that moment, I lost the trust of my father. In that moment, I'd taken a step away in an attempt to live life my way because the boundary was a bit restrictive. So I thought, if I take a step away from my father, and in that moment, I'd lost trust. You see, what I think Jesus is trying to convey in this story is what is sin actually all about? Because we can think that, that sin is the stuff we do with the stuff we have, yeah? How do I spend my time? How do I spend my money? How do I occupy my mind? All of those things. I want to suggest sin, is a con that's the consequence, but the reality is how close am I to the Father? I I'm going to make the point by inviting my good friend, Pastor Eddie, up onto the platform. Let's give him a round of applause. I say willing volunteer, he's been press ganged and he doesn't know why he's here, but um, it's, it's good to have him. Come on, he needs more encouragement than that. Okay, Eddie, if you don't mind, just stand really close to me, okay, side, side by side, okay? And what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you three um, kind of paper balls, and here's the target. You see, because the word sin simply means missing the target. It's an archery term. 
And when you miss the target, it's sin. So, Eddie, I'm going to hold this um, kind of target here, and I simply want you to place the paper balls in the target. Yeah, why not? Oh, okay. Let's, let's pick them up and try again. Let's go one at a time because it'll make it slightly more dramatic. Okay, so here we go. Number one, bang. Number two, bang. Number three, give them a round of applause. Eddie, maybe we could just pick them up one more time. You see, because the problem is it's easy to hit the target when we're close to one another. But as soon as we take a step away from the Father, it becomes a little bit tougher. Oh, oh. And do you know what? I'm going to give him one more go, and I'm going to take a, a further step. Go on, Eddie. Right, don't fall off the platform, but let's have one more go. Please don't hit it, because it won't make the point very well. Oh. Okay, let's give him a round of applause. He can go and sit down. See, I want to suggest to you that sin comes as a result of distance. If I don't stay close to the Father, the, 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 the action, the reactions are going to be what the Father doesn't want because I've taken steps away from him. Maybe proximity is more important than ability. How close are you to Jesus? How many steps have you taken away from the Father? Maybe this morning it's time to stop trying and just get a bit closer. Get a bit closer to Jesus. What did he say in John 15? Jesus says, remain in me and you will bear fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, what we do really matters. But I want to suggest what we do is a result of how close we are to Jesus. How close are you to the Father this morning? So we go on. The audience was probably amazed as Jesus is starting to tell this story. They would have been outraged at the, the way that the son was squandering all that he'd been given. But notice this, that the money quickly runs out. This guy goes with all of the resources, the wealth of his father, and he thinks, I can put the trust of my life in those resources. There's some human things, some earthly things that I can use as the foundation for my life. So I'm going to go away and I'm going to use them. But notice in verse 13, the son wastes the inheritance on wild living and the money soon runs out. What are you putting your trust in this morning that actually isn't going to last very long? What are you thinking is the thing that's going to get you through to that next stage? What's the thing that is becoming your focus and when it's not Jesus and what he wants you to be? What are you worrying about? What's consuming you? What's kind of filling your mind when Jesus is saying, keep your eyes fixed on me? Matthew chapter 6 says this, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about life what you eat or what you drink, about your body or what you will wear? Is life not more important than food and the body not more important than clothes? Verse 28, why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, how much more will he clothe you? You of 
little faith. So don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? The pagans run after these things. Your heavenly Father knows already how much you need them. So seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and these things will be added unto you. I know at the moment in society and life it can be quite tough. If we're not careful, our attention is drawn to the very things of life and it can draw our attention away from the Father. Seek first the kingdom and everything else will be added unto you. So we go to the next part of the story and, and the, the party animal becomes an animal welfare officer. He gets a slightly unlikely job, not the job that he intended to be doing when he left home in order to enjoy himself. But, but some would say, well, he'd hit rock bottom. But let's look at the story again with a slightly different lens. You see, the son had attached himself to the citizen in this far-off country, and he wasn't prepared to repent. He wasn't prepared to go back to the father and ask forgiveness. In other words, he thought, even though I've run out of money, I can still fix it myself. There was still an element of pride within the son, so he was prepared to do anything rather than go back to the father. So the citizen of the far-off land thinks, okay, I know how to get rid of him. I'll give him a job that everybody would refuse, a job that nobody wants to do. And the son was so desperate, he took the job. He wasn't prepared to give up his pride. The theologian Bailey writes these words, the text tells us graphically that he glues himself to a citizen of the country. This is known in the communities having arrived with money and thus expected to have some self-respect left. A polite way for a Middle Easterner to get rid of an unwanted hanger-on is to assign them a task that they know they are going to refuse. I wonder what's going on in your life, what you're hanging on to, what you're putting your hope in, what you're putting your trust in, what pride is getting in the way of you returning to the Father's love. I wonder if you're taking some things into your own hands, that you're coming up with your own fix, that you're letting pride get in the way of you walking back into the arms of Jesus. I just had the sense, just as we were upstairs, I was just taking a moment to pray, and I sensed that there was a particular situation in the room. I didn't share this in the first service, where somebody here is trying to fix something. Maybe the fixes are taking them into places that they know probably aren't right and some things that they shouldn't do. You're trying to fix something in your own strength, and Jesus just offers you an invitation this morning to fix your eyes on him instead. You know, some situations we find ourselves in are really tough and I don't want to belittle them. But it's like, I, I'll, just, I'll just step around the truth. I'll just do things a little bit differently. No one will ever know. It will sort itself out. I'm sure God wants me to have it anyway. Stop trying to fix it yourself and fix your eyes on him. Two more parts to the story. We get to this area where 
the son decides, okay, I've had enough. I can't even handle the pig feeding job. I just need to go home to my father. He realizes he's going to starve to death. And this realization comes over him. And, and you might think at this moment, he's finally repented. He's going back to the father. But there's still a, a tiny seed of pride in his heart. Because he's not going back to the father to rejoin the family. You can tell from the script that he starts to write in his his, his speech. He's going back to the father in order to work for the father. There's an invitation for him to be in the family, but he's thinking, no, 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 I I need to go and earn my right back. So he starts out, verse 18, I'll set off and go back to the father and say, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. Notice that phrase is in the first draft of the speech. But then when he gets to the father, he says the father was a long way off. He saw him coming. He was filled with compassion. He ran to the son and threw his arms around him. The son says, here's the real speech, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He doesn't mention anything about working for the father because at that moment, he recognizes the grace, the love, the embrace that the father has for him. You see, if we're not careful, we can look like we're returning back to the father, but we're really still in control ourselves. I'll just keep on to this bit, God, if you don't mind. No one needs to know as long as I turn up to church on Sunday morning. As long as I keep smiling, as long as I'm part of my cell group or my house uh, group situation. You know, you know God, I, I can look like I'm doing the right thing, but I'm clinging on to some stuff that I actually need to let go of. Guys, it's time to surrender. It's time to surrender. The Father demands a surrendered heart. What do you need to let go of in your family, in your finances, in your ministry? What do you need to let go of in your friendships, in your work, in your health? What are you clinging on to that's thinking, this is is for me, God. This power, this position, this situation. If I could just, and Jesus says, just let go and come back to the Father. Then we get to the best bit. The athletics bit, the, 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 the sprint, the, the, the end. And it's really exciting to see what happens. Because as the, the son returns to the father, the old man runs towards him. Now, a, 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 a writer of the time, Aristotle, says these words, okay? Not in the Bible, but it's kind of stated. A great man would never run in public, okay? So, so people of the time will be thinking to themselves, Jesus is telling a story where the father, the father's running? He's doing what? Men don't run. That would be publicly unacceptable. It would be like you wearing your pajamas and running down Notting Hill High Street. Yeah, and people are thinking, what are they doing? You just don't do those kind of things. You see, in Middle Eastern culture, running was considered shameful. And an honorable man would never run in public. But you see, the father knew something. The father knew that because the son had turned his back on the family, that if he returned, that the community would treat him in an unhelpful way. In fact, there was a ceremony, and the ceremony was called Kezazar, okay? It's quite hard to say, but let's say it together, Kezazar. 
There you go. You remember it now forever. Okay? And the Kezazar ceremony meant as the sun returned, that the people in the village would probably grab big pots, clay pots, stones, bricks, rocks, whatever, and they would throw them at the feet of the sun. They would be saying, you are no longer welcome in this town. You are no longer welcome in this village. You've brought shame on your family. You've brought shame on your community. And rocks and broken pottery would be thrown, could cause harm and damage to the sun, who would be driven away in shame from the community. So why was the father running? Of course he was pleased to see him, but he was partly seeking to offer shelter and protection. So the father sees the son in the distance and he he pulls up his robes and he undignifiedly starts running towards his son. He wraps his arms around him because he wants to say, not you are ashamed and you need to be sent away. He wants to say, you are welcome and you have a place in this family. You have a place in this family. So As I read this passage, I get this sense that as we take one step back to the Father, the Father is sprinting towards us. He's offering us love. He's offering us welcome. He's offering us acceptance. Yes, the Father's pleased to see the Son, but he wants to offer him protection. He's prepared to undignify himself in order to offer welcome to the Son. So what am I saying to us this morning Well, God, the Father, sees our hearts. We can come together, we can worship, we can praise, we can have fun together in the house of God, but God, the Father, sees your hearts, and he sees the times that we've taken steps away from him, and we try to do things in our own strength, and he's offering an invitation to you this morning to take a step closer. He's saying, come closer because proximity matters more than ability. And if you take one step towards the Father, he will come running to you with arms open wide. You know, this message is a message for people who've maybe never made that decision to follow Jesus. But it's also a message for people who've been following him for years. Because the danger is sometimes we've been following Jesus for a long time. We think we can do it in our own strength now. I know how the Christian faith works. And Jesus says, no, it's about surrender. No, it's about living in the arms of your father. No, it's about proximity. It's about welcome. So this is my challenge to us this morning. Whatever the state of your heart this morning, whatever your distance is from the father, whatever stuff is causing you or forcing you to live in a place of shame or hold on to your pride, however unprecedented the circumstances of your life, however outrageous your behavior may or may not have been publicly or in your thought life, you have a father who is longing for you to take one step to him because he will come running after you. He will come running after you. I'm going to invite the guys to just come and join me on stage. We're just going to have a moment where we can just take that step towards Father God. Because I know in a building this size with so many people in it, there'll be all sorts of circumstances and situations where we are holding on to things. We want to be in control. 
We want to be those people who have got it all sorted. But actually, the Christian life is a life of surrender. The Christian life is a life of surrender. It's not about holding on to power. It's not about holding on to position. It's not about doing things in our own strength. It's about saying, Jesus is your way. So let me say these words again, and let's kind of hear them as a prayer. Maybe you want to close your eyes for a moment. Whatever the state of your heart is this morning, you know, you might be on the treadmill of the Christian life, but actually there's not a lot going on. And Jesus wants to breathe life into your hearts. Whatever your proximity is to the Father, Maybe as you just think about it, you know you've just taken a few steps away. Sin becomes a little bit easier than it might have been previously. Whatever stuff is causing you shame or forcing you to hold on to pride or control, however unprecedented the circumstances of your life, however outrageous your behavior has been. You have a heavenly father who is longing for you to take just one step to him. And because of what Jesus has done in his death, life, and resurrection, he will come running towards you. Arms open wide. Because this Christian life is not about clinging on to power, it's about surrender. Unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it can't bear fruit. Apart from him, we can do nothing.